Good afternoon, everybody. It's great to see so many of you here. My name is Doug Fullington, and welcome to our production of Swan Lake here at PNB today. I always like to ask right from the outset with a ballet like Swan Lake, how many here have seen a production of Swan Lake before? So a lot of you have. How about here at PNB? A lot of you have. Okay. I won't discount anyone who hasn't. It, just, it helps guide my comments a little bit. Uh, you know, a ballet like Swan Lake, it figures really prominently in ballet repertory around the world. It's really one of the canonical works that's come down to us. It has a really interesting history. It's had some significant changes made to it over time. But there are also a number of different kinds of productions. Our production here is a pretty traditional production. It has roots in the past. I'd like to talk a little bit about the early history of Swan Lake and then a little bit about the history of Swan Lake here at PNB. But I'll be very happy to uh, take your questions or, or discuss particular topics that you might be interested in, and I'll leave plenty of time for that as we, as we go along. But I'd, I'd like to say a little bit about Swan Lake in the 19th century and, and what we know about the early performances. It was first performed in 1877 in Moscow in Russia. It's a little interesting that it was performed first in Moscow and not St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg was the capital at that time. It was uh, considered to have the primary ballet company in the country. It had a big budget. And usually Moscow would would uh, get ballets after they'd been performed in St. Petersburg. But the Moscow company really scored something of a coup by convincing Tchaikovsky to compose the score to Swan Lake, which was really something for its time. Tchaikovsky had a strong reputation by then, and composers sort of at his level of fame weren't particularly interested in composing for ballet because it meant submitting to the wishes of the choreographer, who might say, well, I want to cut some things out of what you've written. You know, I don't like this. Can you do this again? Or maybe worst of all, I'd like to insert a piece by somebody else. <laughs> and you can see that if, if that wasn't your primary job, if your job wasn't to compose for ballet, and you weren't used to that kind of arrangement, that might not be too uh, palatable. But... Tchaikovsky liked ballet. We know he did. He wrote about it in his letters. He told his friends he liked ballet and that he wanted to try writing a score for some time. So he wrote the score for Swan Lake. And uh, we often read in sort of more general ballet histories that that first production was a failure. Turns out it wasn't a failure and it wasn't a great success. It was okay, you know, it did okay. Like a movie that does okay at the box office. Um, I think people liked the story about um, Prince Siegfried and Odette, who's, in, who's a woman who's enchanted to be a swan during the day and a woman at night. The only thing that can break the spell is if someone pledges true love to her. Siegfried is tricked by a sorcerer and his daughter into thinking that the daughter is Odette, and he pledges himself to her instead, and then poor Odette can't, uh, isn't going to have the spell broken, at least not by Siegfried. The, generally, critics thought Tchaikovsky's music was just too loud for ballet. Uh, music at the time was, was thought 
the idea was it shouldn't compete with what's on stage. It should, it should be sort of even or support it. And I know that sort of sounds like apples and oranges because music is sound and what you're seeing on stage, you're seeing. But I think the idea that a very loud orchestra against one person dancing a solo on stage was, was a little out of balance. But Tchaikovsky was a symphonic composer, meaning he was used to writing for the whole orchestra throughout most of his pieces. He did like loud dynamics, and he liked percussion, and you'll hear it today. A lot of drums, cymbals, triangles. So it makes a big sound. Our ideas about uh, music for theater have changed since then. And I think to most of us, it's, it's a wonderful feeling to be enveloped by all that sound. But nevertheless, the ballet stayed in the repertory for a while, and then it went out of the repertory. This was expected, just like any other popular art. Something else will come along, and that will be popular for a while, and that's how things go. Tchaikovsky then later collaborated in St. Petersburg with the choreographer Marius Petipaw. Petipaw was French, like a long line of choreographers in St. Petersburg. He was the first ballet master, meaning the premier ballet master from 1870 all the way into the first years of the 20th century. He and Tchaikovsky collaborated really successfully on The Sleeping Beauty in 1890. That was a big success. It just went really well. Everything fit together well. The, the collaborative team worked well. They had a very large budget and Sleeping Beauty was a big success. They got together again two years later for The Nutcracker. The music for The Nutcracker was a success, but the ballet itself only somewhat of a success. A lot of critics thought there were too many children. How could they think that? We feel differently now about The Nutcracker too. Uh, I find that as ballets stay in the repertory for a long period of time, not only do the ballets change, but our attitudes toward them have changed. Values and aesthetics change over time. Um, Tchaikovsky had planned to work on a revision of Swan Lake for St. Petersburg, but he died in 1893, a year after the Nutcracker premiered. But his brother helped with that uh, Swan Lake production. They, they streamlined the story. Initially in 1877, Siegfried didn't come out looking good at all. He was angry at the end of the ballet. He didn't treat Odette very well. And uh, I don't know who wrote that or thought that was a good idea, but they softened that in 1895. And at the end of that ballet, Siegfried and Odette realized they couldn't be together in life, but they could be together in the afterlife, which was a very romantic era idea. So they jumped in the stormy lake, and then the audience saw them float away in a nice boat on a nice calm lake, happily ever after. So that was 1895. Um, a couple of interesting things about that production. It was pretty successful, not like Sleeping Beauty, but it was solid. And it is the production that has influenced most of the ones we see today, including ours. Some interesting things are that uh, in that production, it seems like when Odette was a swan, uh, the audience saw her at night when she was in human form. So she didn't have a lot of swan movements in her choreography, meaning she didn't use her arms like wings, and a lot of the things we're used to seeing today that have become kind of iconic with the look of this ballet. Another thing is that Odile, who we think of as the black swan now, wasn't a black swan, she was a sorceress, and she wore navy blue. She had a navy blue tutu with some um, like sunbursts on the, on the 
tutu skirt part, really bright, almost as though it would blind you, because the idea was that she put a spell on Siegfried so that he thought she was, she was Odette. Now, it is true that all along, uh, even since Moscow, the same dancer danced Odette and Odile. So they always did look the same. But the story, you know, story changed a little bit over time. So how did Odette start to take on some of these uh, swan movements in her choreography? One idea comes from a very short solo that was choreographed for Anna Pavlova in the first years of the 20th century. It was choreographed to a short movement from uh, Sasson's Carnival of the Animals, the Swan Movement. We now think of that solo as the Dying Swan. That's the name it goes by today. But she danced uh, movements in which her arms and her body and her head and neck made us think that she looked like a swan, these sort of naturalistic gestures. And she'd move her arms like wings and she'd hold them over her head to look like a graceful swan's neck. And it was a very popular solo and Pavlova was a very influential dancer. And it seems that over time, the role of Odette took on some of these characteristics that were popular in the swan choreography. And that uh, now most of the Odettes we see, even though technically she's a woman at night, she still has a lot of swan in her, uh, in her movements. And it's, it's, it's turned into something quite beautiful. And then over time, Odile started to be uh, kind of codified or rethought. So she was an exact opposite of Odette. So if Odette is wearing a white tutu, Odile needs to wear a black tutu. So we have an absolute stark difference. Her choreography also took on some of these swan qualities because it made a lot of sense that she would move the way that Odette did. That would make sense to us as an audience and we could understand more easily how he was deceived. And she became the black swan. So just some interesting uh, slow change over time in Swan Lake, but these are things that helped it become part of the canon of ballet and I think kept it in the repertory. It's a real challenge for a dancer to dance uh, this role where she's first Odette, then Odile, then Odette again. And as an audience, I think we're excited and interested to see how it's going to come off, how everybody does it a little bit differently. Um, The ending of Swan Lake is different in various productions too. I think American Ballet Theater in the States here and San Francisco do the 1895 ending. In Russia, in the early years of the Soviet Union, they didn't like the idea of uh, Siegfried and Odette drowning in the lake. So they uh, pitted Siegfried against the sorcerer von Rothbart. They duked it out, and Siegfried won, and that broke the spell for everybody, not just Odette, but for all the swans. And there was a beautiful sunrise, and there was a great happy ever after. Our production is a little bit different. Maybe it has some of that realism uh, to it, uh, different from Anna Pavlova's realistic movements, but still a more maybe realistic thought about the end of the story. Kent Stoll, who uh, together with Francia Russell put our production together, uh, his thinking was, well, Siegfried did betray Odette. He didn't mean to. Um, he did love her, but nevertheless he did, and so the spell can't be broken. So when Siegfried rushes back to the lake, he does reconcile with Odette, but nevertheless, the sun's going to come up, as it always does, 
and she turns into a swan and off she goes and he's left without her. So it's a, it's a, a sad ending, a bittersweet ending, I think. And uh, our production features that. And I think New York City ballets too. So uh, depending whose production you see, you'll often see a little bit of a different ending to the ballet. I guess that brings us to our production here at PNB. We've had Swan Lake in our repertory for 41 years now, which is a long time for us because we've only been around since 1972, 50 years next year, uh, or this coming fall really, huh? And uh, Swan Lake entered our repertory in 1981 in this production that Kent Stoll uh, produced with Francia Russell. Kent and Francia came to us in 1977 and before that, they'd been working at the ballet in Frankfurt, Germany, and they staged Swan Lake first there in October of uh, 1976. And when they came here, the company was young and it was small, but they were working hard to build it up. And by 1981, they felt the company was ready to take on Swan Lake and that it would be a challenge for the company, but it would also raise the profile of the company. And I think it really did that. Francia staged the traditional parts of the ballet that come to us, down to us, uh, through generations from that St. Petersburg production in 1895. That includes a lot of the opening swan scene, the first one, uh, the trio for two women and a man in the opening scene, some of the black swan pas de the duet for Siegfried and Odile in the ballroom scene. And then Kent provided original choreography. That's common too in, in these productions of the classic works that they can be tailored to the particular company, the number of dancers they have. Kent wanted to use students from our school as we traditionally do in the larger productions like Nutcracker, Swan Lake, Sleeping Beauty, and so on. So that's the early history. There's one more piece, 2003. It was the time that this building was being renovated from Seattle Center Opera House into Mary and Oliver McCaw Hall. And when that opening was coming up for the new building, Kent Francia had selected Swan Lake to be the first thing the ballet performed in this new wonderful building with this, this uh, renovated stage and the auditorium. There's great sound for music. So they decided to do a little renovating of the production as well. We used to have 16 swans, now we have 24. Uh, I love this one. In the opening scene, we used to have peasants now we have aristocrats. So there was some upward mobility there for those folks. So it was, a, it was a refreshed production. And they also had the scenery and costumes redesigned. Kent invited Ming Cho Lee, who was the great architectural scenic designer that Kent collaborated with numerous times. He invited Ming to do the scenery. And you'll see the focus isn't on painted drops, but it's on actual architectural scenery. There are these beautiful columns and trellises uh, that figure in most of the acts in different configurations. You'll notice they're a little bit off-center, and it's not just you. They are off-center, and I think the idea there is the story's a little off-center, too. It has one foot in reality, but it has another foot in a fantasy world, a world where people can be turned into swans. The costumes, uh, finally, if you've seen uh, a production of Hamilton, if you've seen the new uh, film of West Side Story by Steven, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, if you've seen the film Harriet, they all have costumes designed by Paul Taswell. And Paul also designed our costumes for Swan Lake. 
So uh, Paul is a terrific designer for musical theater, for film, and for ballet, which takes its own set of skills. And uh, he's, uh, I think, produced beautiful costumes, and uh, he has a beautiful color palette. I think particularly in the ballroom scene with all the different dances, just amazing, vibrant costumes that just really leap off of the stage. So that's our production. This is the 14th time that we've had Swan Lake in the repertory. It comes back every three, four years or so. And uh, we've had many, many casts uh, perform the role of Odette O'Deal and the roles of Siegfried. Today, you're seeing uh, Elizabeth Murphy in that double role and Lucien Postlewaite as Prince Siegfried. They are veterans in the role. They've danced it in previous uh, years and I think they're uh, Dancers are always thrilled to return to roles as, as meaty as these and to further develop. Sometimes it's with a, a new, there's a new partnership. And I think uh, you're in for a treat today with Liz and with Lucienne. So that's what I'd like to say to start. And uh, I would be really happy to try to address any questions you have about Swan Lake or our production, how we prepare the company in general. Yes, sir. Um, you mentioned that Tchaikovsky's brother helped out with the score. Could you talk just a little bit about him and how he influenced it? Yeah, so this is a question about Tchaikovsky's brother Modeste, who I think helped a little bit more with the story in 1895. That, if you read the stories, it was printed in the libretto in 1877. It's long and it's really involved. So I think there was some streamlining to help make it clearer on stage and to also kind of do a little damage control to Siegfried's character at the end of the ballet. There were some changes to the score, though. Some of the music that was so loud <laughs> was replaced in 1895 with some gentler works uh, one of the things they did was take some Tchaikovsky piano solos, some short pieces, and orchestrate them, and then insert them into the ballet. There were some of these in the final act, but Kent, Kent really likes the original final act music, and so he did not use those, uh, those dances in the last act, but re reinserted some of that original music uh, in, in the final act. So... So it is, it's loud, loud and stormy, and exciting, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. There's, you know, I was saying we don't, we only know certain things about these early productions. There's a lot of new research being done. They actually, sometimes these things are the result of something completely mundane or practical. At the Bolshoi Theater in Moscow, they had cleaned out one room, an archival room, and they found materials for Swan Lake that I think were not cataloged before. And that's opened the door to a lot of new research to learn about what that original production was like. And then it can be compared more accurately to the St. Petersburg production. And there is a scholar, uh, a very good one, working on this, who I think will pretty soon, I think it's coming out of Princeton University Press, um, it will publish a book that gives us a lot more detail about these productions. And I've, this is the kind of thing I love. So I'm looking forward to uh, learning a little more. Maybe I'll have more to say next time around. So thank you for that question. So anything else anybody would like to ask? Yes, please. How do people in the ballet world feel about the movie Black Swan? I know that's a... Oh, it's such, such a good question. I can't speak for everybody. It's a question about the movie Black Swan with Natalie Portman. I think there's some love-hate relationship. 
obviously a movie like that is going to bring a lot of attention or attention to the ballet industry you know we're here we exist we perform but also <laughs> it reinforces some kind of crazy stereotypes that in my experience don't exist in working relationships or how people approach working together um you know it's that's it's sort of been that way with ballet movies it's sort of heavy on the drama and we'll see things and think that never happens like that that's not how that no no never would happen um so you know love-hate relationship so you know they're fun to watch but uh we also hope people aren't taking it too seriously, worry a little bit about their reflection on the art form. So we always want to give credit to those people that are doing the actual dancing in these ballets. So um, I don't know if anybody from here who, who is here now was dancing in Black Swan. We had a lot of people who were in center stage way back in the day because when they were students in New York at the time when that movie was being produced. So you can watch through it and say, oh, there's so-and-so and there's so-and-so. <laughs> anyway, thanks for that. Anyone else with a question? Well, yes. More like, yeah, sort of. Yeah. Um, don't you think that um, Peter, Peter makes a serious effort to avoid that problem that's presented in that movie? In other words, that's where he's bringing people up out of the, out of the lower ranks of the dancers into uh, lead roles. Yes, I, I, absolutely, I absolutely think that is the case. With this company, we've, you know, we have a school attached to our, com our company, and uh, we really uh, try to nurture dancers, train dancers to be able to perform at a professional level. We try to, uh, to bring in students from the professional division of our school into the company, and there's a lot of promoting within the company, that's for sure. Um, one company member, Ku Sakuragi, he's alternating in the role of jester with Christian Poppy, who you're going to see today. Ku, I've known Ku since six, seven years old, and came up all the way through the school. He danced at Alberta Ballet in Canada for a few seasons, but now he's back here and in the company. And it's such a delight for all of us that, you know, we know Ku, and we know Ku's parents, and, you know, you've seen... You've seen him develop into a real artist, not just a technical artist, but an expressive artist too. And it's so gratifying uh, to, um, to be able to follow somebody through that kind of development. And we feel that, I know the dancers feel it from the audience too, who it may be a new apprentice and, and eventually that apprentice takes on more featured roles and we get to know who that person is. Maybe they're at the post-performance Q&A able to ask the, them some questions and then see them eventually maybe become a soloist or a principal dancer. Uh, and that's one of the great things about a repertory company, meaning a company that's resident and is performing a, a broad repertory year after year in multiple performances. You can really follow the trajectory of a number of artists. And uh, I, 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 for one, think that's really a, a pleasure to be able to do that. So. Have time for one or two more if anyone has anything. Um, I did want to say we don't have a post-performance question and answer today. We usually have those down here after each performance, but with a couple of our longest ballets, and Swan Lake is long, it's a three-hour journey with two intermissions in there, uh, the dancers are pretty, 
pretty exhausted at the end. So we let them go. But for uh, the next rep, rep six, that is in the beginning of June, we will uh, continue with the post-performance Q&A with Peter Bowl and dancers who, who have just performed in, in the performance that you'll be seeing. So, um, Well, that, if there are no more questions, we're just about at time. Curtain today is at one o'clock. And as I said, two intermissions, an intermission following act one, and then following act two, about 20 minutes each. And then acts three and four uh, are performed together. There's a short pause. They'll bring the lights up to half for about three minutes. But then we move right into act four, which is short. And so we just want to push on towards the end. So that's how the afternoon's going to go. Again, I'm so glad you're here, not only to experience uh, Swan Lake, but to support the company. As you know, everyone's just thrilled, as we have been this season, to be back on stage performing for actual people in the audience and the orchestra, too. So thank you again, and enjoy your afternoon. Thank you.